You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, today's the day I hear there's a game going on. Some of you got your, uh, hopefully you've done all your grocery shopping. So you're ready to roll. Um, Cowboys, we're not there. I say we like I'm a part of it. If I was a part of it, we'd be there. <laughs> Just kidding, maybe. <clears throat> but um, anyway, so here we are. We're continuing our series, Reboot. And uh, again, as we begin a new year in the midst of all the craziness, it's a great opportunity for us to reboot. And even this week, it happened in my house. I have this uh, wonderful laptop, and all of a sudden it said, hey, you need to update your operating system. And so I was in the middle of something important and I was going back and forth and all that. And you think, okay, how long could it, should it take to reboot your operating system? And you think, well, shoot, it shouldn't take that long. Well, 45 minutes later, it's still rebooting and doing its thing. And so apparently my computer had a lot of stuff to think about and a reboot and a change and alter. And so I don't know if you ever feel like my computer, but we're in the middle of that reboot with things going on. And so Um, As we continue that series, over the last few weeks, we've talked about Isaiah chapter 40 and the idea of gaining a new perspective, that as we gain a new perspective in prayer and in life, that we can see things as eagles see, that we fly higher in a different altitude and be able to see life as God sees life from maybe a bigger perspective and um, that we can, in that, we can not only survive, but we can thrive in the midst of difficulty situations. And we also talked about Matthew chapter 14, that there's going to be storms in life. And when the storms come, that we're, if we can keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we can keep moving toward him and the storms of life, that is the waves and those things that try to distract us and keep us up. Keep our eyes off of Jesus, um, that those will get us through those difficult times if we're able to keep our eyes on Jesus, Jesus, even as the storms of life rage around us. And then over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about Matthew chapter 6, and um, we've been in verse 9 for a few weeks. We're going to be in verse 9 again this week. And so um, if you know me, usually we don't sit in one verse for very, very long time, but this is such an important part um, and essential to our Christian faith. And if you've, um, this is our, like, should be like breathing for us. As you crave oxygen, as Christians, we should crave to be in relationship and speak with God the Father. And so I think whenever Jesus um, gave us this prayer as a model prayer, again, he wasn't saying this is a formula to follow, but this is a kind of a prayer of, and some of the things that, that we should be living out and thinking about and talking about in our faith journey. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that our prayers should be one of intimacy, that we should be able to crawl up in dad's lap and to share the, the, not, all the intimate things in our life and our heart that are burdens for us. And then last week we talked about that because he is the God of all of the heavens, he's the creator of all the cosmos, that he is powerful, and that we should pray with an expectation that God, who loves us, that our dad wants to give to us and we have to ask. And that many times we don't ask with expectation. And so maybe we should begin praying in our prayer life, begin expecting God to act like God. And uh, maybe we've given up on that. And then I was preparing for this week. One of the things that came across my desk was the fact that over 70% of young people believe that Muslim, whenever someone prays and they pray, that they're 
we're all praying to the same God, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, whether whatever, that when you're praying, you're praying to the same God. And this morning, what I want you to clearly understand is that is not true. That if you are a follower of Jesus, that you call on the name of Yahweh, which is a covenant name for God, and that we have entered into a covenant relationship with him by saying yes to the gift that God has given us through the person of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And in that, we're able to pray, and we have a covenant relationship with him and him alone. As a matter of fact, this is a distinctive for us, is that we have a relationship with the creator of the universe, and when we call on our God, our God acts. And he responds to us because we're his children. Where the rest of the world, when they're praying, they're praying in vain. Okay, think about that. They're praying in vain. So it draws me back to Elijah on the mountain and the prophets of Baal are doing all the things that they can do. And they're like, come on, come on, come on. And and Elijah's like, listen, your God, he must be on the toilet. He must be distracted. That's literally, that's scripture. Read it. He must be, you must, you must, he must be distracted because in just a minute, I'm going to call on my God. And my God will act, not because of who Elijah is, but because of who he is and the covenant relationship they have. And so this morning, as we dig into this passage, I want you to understand that your dad wants you to crawl up in his lap in those intimate moments and understand that he's all powerful. He's wholly other than us. And so that when we crawl up in his lap, he can do anything we ask of him. And that what we're asking of him is based upon his name and not ours. And so this morning, as we continue on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, again, reminder of the fact that Jesus' disciples, the guys who had been hanging out with Jesus for a little bit, saw that he was praying differently. And because he was praying differently, like, hey, can you teach us how to pray like you pray? And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, pray like this, our Father, Daddy, Abba, who is in heavens of all the heavens, may your name be kept holy. So maybe you've been in around church and you learned the old King Jimmy way, which is hallowed be thy name, right? So keep thy name holy. Well, what's in a name? A name matters, doesn't it? I mean, when someone says my name, Chris, the character of who I am and how they see me, immediately that kind of the computer in their mind registers. So if they know me as Pastor Chris, then all those kind of things come up. If they know me as the father to my children, all those things come up. So all the different things that people know about me when they call that name, my character comes to the forefront. Good, hopefully most of the time. And all that comes up. But, you know, sometimes I hear not just Chris, but every once in a while around my house, or especially growing up, I would hear, Christopher? That meant something else. That meant my character was in trouble. <laughs> I've probably done something wrong or is about to do something wrong that my mom saw or my dad or whatever. And then you knew you were really in trouble if the middle name got injected, right? It's like, Christopher Michael. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And you started already covering your rear end or whatever, right? You were moving. You were shaking because the name and the way that your name is said, it matters. So what about my students in college that I teach? Sometimes it's just this thing that you're supposed to do and they're supposed to call you. I make my students call me this and I make Becky call me this, Dr. Little. And that's just a sign of respect. She needs to know that she should respect me. <laughs> and uh, that's what I get called, Christopher Michael. But, um, but you know, it's that deal. And so I tell them, like, hey, as soon as class is over, as soon as we're done with this semester, it's Chris. 
and we can have coffee, but when we're in class, it's Dr. Little. Name matters. And my favorite name right now is Mr. Dr. Pastor Chris Little, sir. That's for my kids and friends that just throw in all kinds of stuff. It's a fun name, but it's character and name matters. As a matter of fact, we would see in Scripture that God would change people's names, that whenever he would have an encounter with them and they would establish a covenant with Abram to Abraham and from Saul to Paul and different way, different people, he would establish a covenant and so therefore he would give them a new name that they could live into. And so he wanted them to live into the character of the new name that he's given them. And I think it would be cool for us if whenever we came into a place where we said yes to Jesus as a teenager, as an adult or whatever, and we said yes to Jesus, that we then get a new name, a nickname that gives us an, something to live into and understand that we're not the old person, but now we're the new person. We used to be unrighteous, but now we're righteous. We used to be unholy, but now we're holy. And all that stuff has nothing to do with what we've done, but totally behind who he is and what he's done for us and in us and through us through the person of Christ. And so we receive the gift of a new name and a new purpose and a new life. And so now I'm not just Chris. I'm whatever it may be. And I'm living into that new name. And I hope that as you have said yes to Jesus, you have seen and sensed that you have been changed and transformed, that your name has a reputation with it, and as you've changed, people see that, and they say, there's something different about you. And what they're saying is, when I say your name, when I think about you, I see that there's change and there's transformation, that you've had an encounter with God, and there's something different about you, and therefore, they think differently about God. I think that's one of the things we need to be reminded of, that one of the things, that one of the reasons the church is dying in America is because uh, those of us that proclaim the name of Christ have sullied his reputation. Because name matters. It makes a difference. Moses, as a young man, made a mistake and ran off, and God chose him and pursued him for a great calling, which was to lead the nation, the people, the Hebrew people, out of the nation of Egypt to the promised land. And One of the things that he did is in this encounter, God gives him the fullness of his name. This is the first first time that that God reveals his full covenant name to his people in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and following. If I go to the people of Israel, this is Moses and God have been talking, and Moses says, okay, I'll go do this. And so then Moses asks him this question. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now think about this. The people, the Hebrew people have been in Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, now they're people of the covenant with God. But they've been in this country where there's a whole bunch of gods that have been worshiping. So Moses is saying, clarify for me who it is that I'm speaking to. So that when I go back to these people and tell them that I'm going to be leading them out, I need to know who this God is. You want to be very sure. And so God tells him, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Say to this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. Again, it's a covenant name. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. 
And so as Moses goes back, he's able to say, listen, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, our forefathers, the God Yahweh is establishing a covenant with us. It's come back and he sent me on his behalf to lead you from slavery to freedom. Trust not me, but trust in his name, the one who has sent me. Even the name Yahweh is, became so powerful, became so such a, a symbol of holiness for the people, for the Hebrew people, that they would try not to even say it. They would offer other names for it, and they came up with Hashem, which is literally the name. So throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament, we would see that Hashem, the name, was a substitute for Yahweh. And so all throughout Isaiah and all throughout Deuteronomy, there was this, the covenant God would, they would talk about Yahweh, and then would, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say the name of God. Even the... Repeatedly in the temple, whenever they were talking about worship in the temple, say the worship in the temple is to establish his name, the name of Yahweh. Why? Because name matters. Even in John chapter 17, Jesus is shown to be the name of God, Yahweh manifested. So the same name that showed up and presented and said, I am in Exodus chapter 3, is the same one who shows up being born of a virgin in the New Testament, walked among us. And so we should then give even extra worth and value to the name of Jesus. And then we say when we trust on the name of Jesus, we're also saying we trust in the name of the one who showed up at Exodus chapter 3 and said, I am who I am. That it's the same covenant God. So God all throughout Scripture shows His covenant with us. He longs to pursue us. He's always after us. And in a covenant with us, He never leaves us or forsakes us. And the beauty of that covenant idea is that God came to us and He said, here's my Salt pouch full of salt granules, and here's your salt pouch full of all of your salt granules. And when you say yes to Jesus, your salt granules come from yours, and you pick some out and you put it in mine, and I'm going to take some out of mine, and I'm going to put it in yours. And now we're in covenant relationship with one another, and that covenant can never be broken unless we can both go into each other's salt pouches and grab the exact salt granules that we have placed in there from our own pouches and pull them out, which we understand to be an impossibility. And so God is saying to us, I've entered into a covenant with you and I've exchanged salt with you based upon my holy name. And there may be moments where you're in my pouch trying to get your granules out because there's this is more or different than you thought it would be, but I will never even look in your pouch for my salt. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I do not want to ever break our friendship and our covenant relationship. And that our holiness is not based upon us, but based upon him and who he is. We even see it in several places, even in the New Testament, where the name of Jesus is substituted. Or the, the name is substituted for Jesus. And again, that we can see this interweavingness, this interwovenness of the name of Yahweh and the name and Jesus, and that all of them are the same. So when we trust in the name of Jesus, we're trusting in Yahweh's name. So name matters. So even as Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, acknowledge our Father, Yahweh, the intimacy of that relationship, and we close it out in the name of Jesus. Because name matters. 
Well, what are we supposed to do with that name is to be hallowed or to keep it holy. And so holy is kadash, which means to cut, to separate. It's holy other. It's transcendent. It's um, pure. It's an absence of pollution. And we see in Luke, Leviticus chapter 22, verse 32, that God wants to protect the holiness of his name because that's his reputation. And so when your reputation gets sullied, think about a small town. When your reputation gets sullied, it's sullied. It's dirty. And it is almost impossible to clean it up. You almost have to move and to start afresh. Name and character matters. And so here in Leviticus chapter 22, that's what God's talking about. He says, do not bring shame on my holy name. For I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now here's the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that you didn't enter into relationship with him because you got perfect and you got it all lined up. It's totally his gift to you and you just have to receive it and we receive the benefits. The same is true about his holiness is that we grow into it and we understand what it is. But we are never fully holy. We're human. Until that moment that our life on earth is gone, we're, we're still imperfect people. But when God sees us, he sees Jesus. And some would say rose-colored glasses. He sees us. He sees Jesus and that is in us. And we live in the holiness of Jesus and the name of Jesus. And because of that covenant. All of his holiness is seeing the moral attributes of God. It defines all of who he is. And we see that holiness in Exodus chapter 3 and in Exodus chapter 9 and Isaiah 6. God's holiness is this idea that he's devoted to his people and the covenant and it can never be broken. Therefore, God's people are holy because we're devoted to him. And when we're devoted to him and spend time with him, That's what prayer is, is having a conversation with him. And the longer we spend with him, the more we begin to look like him and think like him and act like him and talk like him. It produces moral purity and separation in us that there's something otherness about us. That our light is a little bit brighter. Our salt is a little bit saltier. People want what you've got. They see that you're being sanctified, that you're being made like Christ. As parents, we understand this. Or as kids who have older parents, as we've gotten up, there's things that we do that we don't like, but we've caught it from our parents. It may be a smirk. It be, I mean, whatever it is, and it's like, and you catch me like, oh, and, but that's what we want from God. The more we hang out with God the Father, the more we're going to act and think and talk and love and care like Him. We can't help but be like Him if we hang out with Him. God is not made holy by our prayers, right? He is holy, but we are made holy by being with Him. It's His reputation, His holiness, His name. Well, think about us and how we see this transformation happen. I think about the person of Barnabas. Now, again, here, Barnabas is someone who had a name, and his name was Joseph. And whenever he entered into a relationship, covenant relationship with Jesus, God the Father, his name was changed because there was transformation in him. And so they gave him the name of Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And why did they give him that name? Because he was just somebody who had a good reputation and would put courage into each other. That's what encouragement is, is that you would 
offer courage to others. And so they had the courage to go do something that maybe they wouldn't have done before. Right. As parents and grandparents, we encourage people. We encourage our children, our grandchildren to do something and kind of push them outside of their boundaries. And that's what encouragement is. So here, Joseph is, has an opportunity to be generous within the church. And so Joseph, the one apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi. And came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And so you see his generosity. Matter of fact, just, just right after that, there's a story of a couple that wanted to, to be like Barnabas and they got caught lying. And so they had some serious consequences for that and an and Sapphira. So read that on your own time. So Barnabas was developing a good reputation of encouragement, of generosity. And then we hear about this other guy, an opportunity that Barnabas has to come alongside someone who was just come to faith and was known as a vicious person. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the vision of Paul, who at this time is still Saul, that was given to him, was someone who was gnashing of teeth, like a rabid animal that would devour people. That he was a, as a Jewish zealot, he was pursuing Christians and killing them because they were becoming Christians. So he was not liked in the early Christian church, right? I mean, he was someone that they saw and they would run in the opposite direction. But as one day Saul was on the road and the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus, a dramatic encounter with Jesus that transformed his life. And so much so that it was now who used to be Saul is now Paul. The zealot who used to pursue the church is now pursuing others so that they can be in the church. So you imagine now Paul shows up and he tells people, yeah, I know I used to be named Saul, but now I'm Paul. And they're like, yeah, you're not going to fool us. And so they're still running in their direction. He's like, hey, 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 I want to tell you about Jesus. He's like, yeah, we've seen that before. And they're running. And so guess who comes alongside of him? Barnabas. Barnabas comes alongside and says this in Scripture in Acts chapter 9. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. I mean, if you're known as a rabid animal... Peace out. We're not going to have lunch together. They did not believe he had come, become a truly believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had, the Lord, had had an encounter with the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul, because of Barnabas, was able to stay with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. The reason that was able to happen was because Barnabas' name and character mattered. He was one of encouragement, one of generosity, one who would stand alongside others. And he's also a gospel leader. In the early Jerusalem church, there was some stuff going on in Antioch, some things that were kind of crazy. And so who did they send? They sent Barnabas, someone who had great character and of encouragement. So when the church at Jerusalem had heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. Now, shouldn't that be us? Now, when someone says, Chris, this is what they should think. Good man, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. But that's the stuff that their computer registers. That's who they see. And many people were brought to the Lord because of him. That's what it means for us to have a good name. 
Even on, you see that Paul and Barnabas continued their relationship, and Barnabas went on to Tarsus, where Paul actually lived, and sought him out. And when he found him, he brought him back to the church at Antioch, and the both of them, he mentored him and supported him. And so for over a year, they preached, and many people were come to Christ, came to Christ because of Barnabas and Paul. This is actually where the first time that the word Christian was used. Christian is little Christ's. That the church in Antioch, who had been a church of trouble, became known as the place where Christians were propagating. The gospel was happening and people wanted to be Christians because of the little Christ that were their reputations were now wrapped up in the name of Jesus. That their reputation had been changed. It had been known as a troubled church. It had been a church that no one ever wanted to be at. And then Paul and, and Barnabas come in and it begins to get transformed. And now the people are, are like, who are these people? And they're being drawn in because they've been so changed by the gospel. Imagine a church of people that are so on fire for Christ that our reputation is known Listen, if you want to go to a church that's alive and active and lives are being transformed, go to that place. That should be our own heart cry, but also a heart cry for our congregation. Only that happens when prayer changes us. When we get in and understand that prayer is the thing that moves mountains. Not in our power, not in our strength, but in his. God will do crazy things things in the name of Jesus. There's this wonderful little hidden story. I call it a hidden story, but the story of David and Anariah. And Anariah was a guy who was just a regular old guy. His daily job was to get up and to thresh wheat. He had a little th- wheat threshing little place, and so every day he would get up and throw the wheat in, and the, the oxen would go in a circle, and he would watch, and he'd keep throwing wheat in and doing his little thing day after day after day after day. Well, David, as king, had messed up. And even though he was a man after God's own heart, he had messed up pretty good. And a prophet had come to him, and him and the prophet and the guy that began to talk, and God said, listen, I want you to go to Uriah, and I want you to buy his threshing floor from him. I was like, that's a, a weird request, but okay, I'll go do it. So he shows up to Anarah's house and says, hey, God told me to buy your house. I'm offering full price. And he's like, nope, not available. Here's what he says. Take it, my Lord, the king, and use it as you wish. And Arah said to David, I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing boards for wood. To build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all to you. That's what scares us about prayer. Is that God would so work in our heart and our life that he would make a seemingly crazy ask. Because think about this. This is all of this guy's existence. This is what pays for his family. This is everything that he knows. Everything about his life is this threshing floor. And the others are like, that's eh, just a threshing floor. No, no, no. This is his life. This defines him. This is his identity. And the king comes to him and says, can I have it? And offers him a fair price. He says, no. I can't receive your money. I'm going to give it all to you. This is our struggle. 
I will give it all to you. What does that even mean for us in 2022? That if you were on your face before God pleading for him to do something in your life, and he says, I want your threshing floor. I'll be honest, I'll be like, eh, I really like my house. I really like my, God, can you wait till and begin the negotiation? Right. And I think this is one of the things that keeps us from just saying, God, just do with me what you want to do. Because it changes our agenda. But here's the beautiful thing. The more time we spend with dad, when that time comes and he says, this is what I need from you. That if we spend enough time with him, we know we can trust him. We spent enough time in his life. We've had enough conversations. He's shown us time and time again that he's faithful to us. He cares for us. He responds to us. He acts on our behalf. He cares for us. Even the things that we've asked for that we don't need, he protects us from. He's always for us. And in covenant with us, there's those moments where we try to leave and he still draws us back. And so when that moment comes and he says, I will give it all to you. Our response is like, take it. It's not mine anyway. It's yours. The last part of that story is the temple was built on that very threshing floor. So generations upon generations of Jewish people have gone to that very place and bowed their knee and have prayed and worshipped and said, God, I give it all to you. This one man who gave up his inconsequential threshing floor, gave a place of worship for generations upon generations upon generations for people to worship. So as you consider praying this week, start small. Maybe all it is is just Jesus. 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 You don't know anything else to say? Jesus. There's power in his name. Jesus, this is what I'm struggling with. Just have that cup of coffee and conversation and just get it out. And know that he loves you and he cares for you and he's listening. And the intimacy that the creator of the universe, the all-powerful God, is sitting down with you and supping with you and hearing your heart. Let's pray together. Daddy, Abba, Father. We come to you this morning and just crawl up in your lap. We speak to you. We share our hurts, our concerns, our thoughts, our motives, our agenda. And you listen. You patiently listen to us. Thank you for that. That the creator of the universe has our ear. We have his ear. And Father, I pray 
that we would make in the midst of all this, that we would understand that your name matters. That your name is holy. And that, Father, as we spend time with you, that you chisel away at our heart and our soul and our mind so that when people say our name, they can say they're a person of good faith, a good man, a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit and a strong faith. Because of their life, many have come to know the Lord. Because they gave it their all. Father, may that be our legacy. May that be our wake. Is that our, in our humanity, is that we with all of our gusto pursue Jesus. And as people see us and get to know us, they would see that, hey, we're human. But the thing that defines us the most is that we're in pursuit of Jesus. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.